0: it all comes out of a relationship with God. It's not about religion. It's all about a relationship with God. We've learned that God can lead us forward in seasons of doubt, in seasons of new opportunities. God can even lead us forward through the failures through which we go in life. We saw that last week. And today we're going to deal with a topic that touches all of our lives. We're going to see how the powerful emotion of fear can be put in its place. Now this message is needful because Fear has the power to take our joy It has the power to remove our hopes and drain our courage and leave us literally Immobilized in life without any traction at all in fact. We literally speak of being paralyzed by fear I think that many of us today aren't seeing the progress that God would have for us in our lives because we are Living in a culture of fear and we're paralyzed by fear There is such an epidemic of fear today that some have described the age in which we're living as the age of fear There are a lot of reasons for this I think first and most obvious is we're living in a day where more news is reported than any other time in the history of the world 24-hour cable news there's nothing bad that can happen anywhere in the world without us knowing about it straight away Before, what might have taken months or years, or maybe you never would have known, now we know about it instantly. The news brings one scary story after another. Many universities have studied what is it that causes us to fear. Chapman University, just north of here, does a study every year where they pull their students about what it is that causes them to fear the most, and their their analysis from 2018 was just brought out in 2019, and they learned that uh, the fears that we most often have, According to that study at that time was government corruption, uh, pollution, and global warming went together, economic downturn, and illness. I suppose there's a sense where all of those are valid concerns for people living today, but we seem to be perplexed and paralyzed more than we ever have before. Another factor that is getting more attention is that we're living in a culture that perpetuates fear. Fear. Peter Stearns wrote a book entitled, American Fear, The Causes and Consequences of High Anxiety. He said in that book, if you think that the society around you expects courage, you may be scared, but you're not going to tell a pollster about it. He said, currently fear, if you're listening, say amen. Currently fear, currently fear has become in some ways slightly fashionable our capacity to feel fear has not increased or diminished since world war ii but i think of those pictures ryan shared and i could have shared a picture of my grandfather who was in pearl harbor and when our nation endured that attack yes everybody experienced fear but there was an expectation in that generation and in that culture that fear was not something to Paralyze us it was something to lead us forward in in courage and and today It seems as though fear has become as this one man analyzed slightly Fashionable where the expectation is we're gonna live beneath a blanket of fear Fear is on the rise 39% of people this year say they're more anxious than last year Barnes & Noble The largest retailer of books had a 25% jump in book sales on the topic of Anxiety Millennials and Generation Z are the most stressed generation ever Gen Z or those born after 1995 have been called the hopeless Generation by multiple sources Ironically this generation that's been called the hopeless generation is also considered the loneliest generation the most used pharmaceuticals for Millennials and Generation Z are antidepressants and yet, they still are the highest suicide rate of all age groups. We've gone from the greatest generation that took on the world and won to the hopeless generation. And by all accounts, it's because of our relationship with fear and anxiety. I heard of one young man whose life was filled with incredible fear and phobias and anxiety and One day he was talking with a friend and the friend noticed he seemed to have some liberty in his spirit he did not have before and His friend just asked him he said what is different you you were so worried and now you don't appear to Be living under those worries anymore and he shared he said, you know I finally hired someone just to do all my worrying for me and His friend said man, that's a great idea. How much do you pay that guy he said I pay him five thousand dollars a month to worry for me? His friend said, that's a lot of money. How do you pay for that? He said, I don't have to worry about that. That's his job to worry about that for me, all right? Now, I want to tell you today, there's something better than hiring someone to carry your worries. There's someone by the name of Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior, who has said he can carry the weight of it all. Peter taught us in 1 Peter 5 and verse 7, casting all your care upon him, for he careth for you. And I want you to know today that Jesus does Care and I, I would love to bring a sermon that would address maybe the top 100 fears today and and I could seek to Delegitimize those but the fact of the matter is I can't do that But what I can do is bring an encouraging hope-filled message from the Word of God And God's Word teaches us some powerful truths that can help us when it comes to fear and stress and anxiety And if you've ever felt fear or stress or anxiety Why don't you join me in standing as we share in God's Word together today? 2 Timothy chapter 2 is where we're going to be. 2 Timothy chapter 2, I'll begin reading in verse 1. The Bible says in this passage, Thou therefore my son. Now I'm going to read on, but 2 Timothy is the second letter written by the Apostle Paul to a younger pastor by the name of Timothy. So when he says thou therefore, he's saying, Timothy, um, uh, my son, Paul is speaking to Timothy here. He said, Be strong in the grace of that is in christ jesus and the things that thou hast heard of me among many witnesses the same commit thou to faithful men who shall be able to teach others also now again i'm going to read on verse 2 is a powerful verse it's a verse we seek to live out in in uh, our church family and and the idea is this hey tell other people about jesus christ but teach them to the point where they can pass it on to others It's not enough for us just to see addition Multiplication comes when we lead people to a faith in Jesus Christ that's so substantive That they then have the capacity to share that faith with other people. I'm not speaking today Specifically on verse 2, but if I did that would be a good verse from which to speak. Amen. All right next week Maybe we'll go on to verse 3 now Thou therefore endure hardness as a good soldier of Jesus Christ no man that warreth entangleth himself with the affairs of this life, that he may please him who hath chosen him to be a soldier. And if a man also strive for masteries, yet is he not crowned, except he strive lawfully. The husbandman the that laboreth must be first partaker of the fruits. Now I want you, if you would, today to go back to uh, verse 3. And there near the end of verse 3, we find a statement in this verse that will serve as the center around which we'll build today. And I think it's an appropriate title for a day like Veterans Day. I want you to consider these words, a good soldier, a good soldier. And I believe today we can be helped and encouraged. Uh, Friends, let me share with you today this thought. I have found I typically get out of a service what I put into it. And uh, you'll just have to take my word. I've prepared, I've studied, I've prayed. Uh, I'm very excited to share with you what it is that I've learned in the course of getting ready. I hope you will be just as eager to enter into this study with me. And uh, if it's in the Bible, it's for us today. And so let's let the Lord work in our hearts and our lives. Our Father, we're very grateful that you're a God of love, that you have a purpose God, we know the human condition apart from you is to live beneath a load of fear. Yet I pray that you'd help us to see the victory in you and the provision that is in you. Use this time, we ask in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you very much. You may be seated. He's been called fearful and timid and hesitant and intimidated, but if you would conclude by that that his life had been controlled by fear, you would have missed the mark altogether. For Timothy was a man who was not different than any of us in the sense that he dealt with fear. But the testimony of his life is that he did not live beneath that fear. It's it's obvious to me from Paul's letters to him that he needed a lot of encouragement. In fact, if we were to take time just to count up, I found over 25 times where Paul encouraged Timothy to keep pressing forward in spite of hardships and fears that he encountered. In addition to this text that we are studying, we find an earlier example of this, where Paul broached the topic of fear, writing to Timothy in 2 Timothy chapter 1, and in verse 7, Paul said it this way. He said, Timothy, for God hath not given us the spirit of fear, but of power and of love and of a sound mind. When Paul had difficult situations filled with danger and conflict, he did not hesitate to send Timothy into the theater of spiritual warfare. Yes, Timothy was a man that uh, was susceptible to fear, as we all are, but when Paul needed a tough job done, Timothy was the kind of man who'd say, you know something, that may bring fear to my heart, but I'm going to choose rather to live by faith and go where it is God would have me to go. For example, when Ephesus had a need for a leader there, a church with many entrenched and established people, And sin even there was a need for leadership paul was able to say hey timothy uh, I want you to go and stand for me there In thessalonica We know that the persecution there was so intense. It would have been a frightening place to go who did paul send? He sent timothy in fact It was of no one else that paul could say what he said in philippians 2 and verse 20 He said for I have no man like-minded who will naturally care for your estate He said, let me tell you about Timothy. Now, what do we know about Paul? He was type A. He was aggressive. He seemed to be a fearless man. And Timothy, we know, had a very different personality, but they had a like mind in the sense that they wanted to go where God would have them to go and do what God would have them to do. At the end of the day, it was their theology or their belief in God that gave them the traction they needed most to move forward in life. And I believe the instruction Paul sent to Timothy provides the framework that can help us in our times of fear and anxiety. In a very direct way, Paul lays out a path for Timothy to traverse in faith, and we often fear the unknown, and Paul is saying in a sense in this passage, hey, when it comes to those seasons where there are unknowns, I want to tell you what it is you have to know. And as we dig into this passage together today, the first element I'll share with you is Paul shared with Timothy here, you have strength in your Savior. You have strength in your Savior. Let's look in verse 1. To Timothy, Paul wrote, Thou therefore, my son, be strong in the grace that is in Christ Jesus. And I just love the thought here that Paul didn't try to give Timothy a do-better speech. And sometimes as pastors, we're famous for that. Do better. Try harder. Man up. Don't be a wimp. Get with it. Get going. It wasn't a do better speech aimed at someone's flesh to try to get them to act like something that they are not on the inside. He, he comes to him and, and he says, listen, I want you to know in a time of fear, what you need to do is understand there is strength and it's found in Jesus. He can fight our fears. So often when we're afraid, we'll utter things like, man, I just can't do this. And I want you to know today that truer words have never been said. No, we can't do it. In fact, Jesus said, without me, ye can do nothing. But we do have a Savior in Jesus whose strength is more than enough to deal with our distress. I love the way the psalmist looked at this in Psalm 28 and verse 7. He said, the Lord is my strength and my shield. My heart trusted in him and I am helped. Therefore, my heart greatly rejoiceth, and with my song will I praise him. He said, let me tell you about God. He is the source of my strength. It's not about just manning up or trying harder or fake it till you make it. It's about realizing there's a God of great strength. And friends, I want you to know what fears and anxieties do to us. They literally make us weak. Literally. I'm sure you know what it is in a time in your life to have incredibly difficult news come to you And as you're assimilating that news you can feel literally the strength leaving your body I've had moments where tough news has come in and I feel physically weak even as the result of it And it's so good to know that God in his word does not tell us to get strong He says be strong And what is implied in that statement is that God, by His grace, has put something on the inside of you. It's the person and presence of the Holy Spirit of God. All the power of God resides within a person of faith. And so God does not come to us in our times of fear to say, man up, try harder, get strong. He reminds us that He abides and resides on the inside. And there's a strength within us that is greater than the pressures on the outside of us. And so to us, He says, be strong. To gain traction, we we simply must access it by faith. You have strength in your Savior. Secondly, we see here today, you've been built for the battle. You've been built for the battle. Uh, I'm excited for this whole message. This point may be the one I'm the most excited about because, to be honest with you, verse 3 is a verse I've read many, many times, and I think I've misread it. I read it too quickly. It became a bit too familiar and led to misunderstanding. Paul in this verse writes this to Timothy. He said, Thou therefore endure hardness as a good soldier of Jesus Christ. And and after a quick reading, I came to the conclusion he was telling Timothy to be a good soldier. uh, But I want you to know it's more than that. That's not really what he said. He said, Timothy, what I want you to do personally is to endure hardness. The word endure just means to come up under and he said yeah there are some hard things in life there are difficulties and adversities and pressures and stresses and all of it he said and i want you with that strength that comes from god to just go ahead and endure get under the hardness and then he says you know like as a good soldier I want you to live this Christian life facing fear head on in the strength and power of God, but I want you to do so in a way that would resemble a good soldier. Now, if I am to endure in tough times like a good soldier, I need to know what is a good soldier. So I began to read and learn what would be considered a good soldier in this time. And I share with you, and I'm quoting here, a good soldier is a soldier with a desirable or suitable quality for a specified thing. A good soldier, by definition, is one who's, who's got the traits, the capacity, the training, if you would, for the thing to which they had been called. If you're with me, say Amen. So we're to endure hardness as though we're a soldier for the Lord and if you're a believer, you are, we're to endure hardness confronting that fear and all of it in an understanding that God not only gives us the strength we need, God in his grace gives us the skills that we need and we've got a God that says, hey, when those fears come your way come to me for your strength and know this, that as you follow me by faith you become that good soldier get under the load and know that I have built you for the battle through which you're going not just our strength friends it comes from God it's it's those skills and it's helpful to know that when the battles come they've all been filtered through the love and the wisdom and the foresight of God and as he allows the difficulties and adversities to come that shape and build our character and teach us and train us and provide ministry opportunities he does all of that in a way that's suitable for the work he's done on the inside of us and again when it comes to fears we may face and the anxieties we may have we must know that we as God's children have been Built for the battle. I think of the words we read in Isaiah. Isaiah 54 and verse 17. The Bible says, No weapon that is formed against thee shall prosper. And every tongue that shall rise against thee in judgment thou shalt condemn. This is the heritage of the servants of God, and their righteousness is of me, saith the Lord. And friends, as we live in Christ and by faith, we need to know that our fears can distract us, but our fears cannot defeat us. We have a God that says you don't have to get strong just go ahead and be strong I'll give you the strength it's on the inside of you access it by faith and he says i'm giving you the skill set I want you to endure hardness. I want you to come up under those tough seasons knowing you've been built for the battle You can be a good soldier as you live for God. He will train and equip you for that through which you go That leads to the third lesson we'll find in this text your freedom is is found in your focus. Now, many people would say that the opposite of freedom would be captivity or bondage, but I truly believe the opposite of freedom is fear. It's fear. Fear holds us captive. It limits our progress. Fear fear steals our traction and leaves us immobilized. But we've been called to live as free people in christ paul in galatians wrote this he said stand fast therefore in the liberty wherewith christ hath made us free we've been liberated we're free he says and be not entangled with the yoke of bondage again and certainly we've been called to live holy lives we're not to live lives that are entangled by sin but i want you to know there's a yoke of bondage that can come even by way of the fears and anxieties that we face and the bible makes it clear we've been liberated in christ and we've been made free in christ here in verse 4 in our text, Paul writes this. He said, No man that warreth entangleth himself with the affairs of this life, that he may please him who hath chosen him to be a soldier. Now, soldiers who have a battle to fight don't have time to get caught up in civilian life, they're in a war, they're fighting a battle. They've they've got more important things, if you would, on their minds. They're they're fighting. And as Christians, we are not to get wrapped up, the Bible says, in the affairs of this life. Now, it is true we live in this world. But we need to be careful as we're living in this world that the world does not get in us. Because it will lead us to be tied up in knots and our joy will be taken and and grief will come. Uh, Let me get very, very practical for a moment very practical for a moment I love to take the the Bible which many would consider an ancient text it's a living breathing book I believe it to be inspired I know it's infallible it's inerrant but but I love to take words that were written a long time ago and bring it into the day in which we're living and see how God and his wisdom could make an application to something we deal with right now in our time psychologists have identified a source that aggravates anxiety They put their finger on a source that brings anxiety to our lives. And you have one. It's called a cell phone. (laughs) Now this is gonna be hard to believe. I I footnote my sermons for all those who say. I don't think that's true. So whenever I say something bizarre, come to me afterwards, I'll give you the source. But this one's so hard to believe, I'm gonna give it to you straight away. Business Insider had an article recently that said the typical person touches their cell phone 2,617 times a day The top 10% of cell phone users touch their cell phones 5,400 times a day I was with uh, Ryan in a church service uh, a few weeks ago and there was a lady in front of us and honestly it was unbelievable I, I couldn't help it trying to focus and, and she's just looking at her phone She'd look at the same uh, feeds on facebook and then she looked at it again then she, I mean it was like this, this is a serious problem. This lady's having. and I nudge Ryan. I said watch this lady for a minute. This is unbelievable She was consumed and imagine touching your cell phone if you're typical 2617 times, you know, uh, I wanted to do a little research in our house So I counted one day how many times Lisa touched her phone and she only touched it once Okay in the morning when she woke up and then when she set it down technically just one long touch there, okay, but We uh, all have these at our disposal how many of you go to sleep with your cell phone on your bedstand? Yes, two-thirds of people sleep with the phone by their bed, so we can check it right before we go to sleep, and first thing when we wake up, what kind of sick puppies are we? <laughs> you ever say, Pastor, why do you sleep with your phone next to your bed? Well, obviously, most of us use that as our alarm clock, and there's a part of me, it feels like, as a pastor, what if somebody needs me at night, and so uh, I uh, keep that nearby, and... Uh, and yet, I also use a sleep app. How weird are we today? You know, I'll wake up in the morning. Lisa will say, "How did you sleep?" I don't know. Let me check my app. I got a 74. Pretty good. All right, and, and we are so weird with the way technology has crept into our lives. And it's been studied and reported that those who use their phones the most are stressed out the most. More than that, those who use their phones the most feel the most isolated. What we call social media has led to unsocial and even antisocial behavior. Now, somebody's going to leave and say, I can't believe it. Pastor preached against cell phones today. What next? You know, and I'm not preaching against cell phones. I have a cell phone. I, I, I understand all of that. What I'm trying to explain to you is this. There's stuff in our lives, and I think we fail to understand the ramifications of getting entangled in things to the point where it leads us away from a life of, of freedom. I'm talking today about being entangled as we read in this passage. And I am mentioning this because it seems that our preoccupation with all things social media, internet, is to see what other people are doing, what other people are wearing, where they're going, what they're saying, and perhaps what they're thinking of us. And friends, I'm telling you today that when our focus is on what other people are doing and thinking and comparison begins to creep in, that's a recipe for fear because we begin to compare ourselves among ourselves. The Bible says that's not wise. We don't feel as though we measure up. We get needlessly disappointed and we begin to live this anxiety-filled life because we're just, we're just focused exclusively on what other people are doing. And friends, our focus is to be on Jesus Christ. Paul says here that he may please him. Who hath chosen him to be a soldier? Timothy, you need to please the one who chose you to be a soldier. Well, who chose Timothy to be a soldier? The Lord Jesus Christ. This isn't in my notes. I say this from time to time, but I'm going to throw it in right now. All right, listen fast. I'll talk fast. Please him who hath chosen you. Uh, Friends, let me liberate you today. You have a moral obligation to please exactly one person and his name is Jesus Christ. Now you might say, pastor, that might sound good from a platform, but my wife likes it when I please her, and my kids have expectations, and, and I've got all these other people, I've got bosses. No, let me bring it back to this. If, if I live to please Jesus Christ, it's Jesus Christ that told me, husbands love your wives even as Christ loved the church and gave himself for it. So if I please God, she's gonna be pretty happy with me too, which she usually is. Is she smiling? That would have been awkward. You say, well, all right, what about kids, man? We gotta, we gotta bring up our kids. Uh, yeah, that's right. But it's, it's God that told me, that I'm going to bring my children up in the nurture and admonition of the Lord. If I seek to please God, I'm going to be a great father. I'm going to be a great son. I'm going to be a great brother. I'll be the pastor God wants me to be. Hey, stop trying to please everybody in your life. That's a recipe for disaster. It will bring stress. It will bring fear. It will bring anxiety. Just say, Lord, you're the good, constant, unchanging, holy, gracious God. Help me to do what you want me to do in my life. And you will excel in every area that is a God-given responsibility to you. Choose to live for Jesus alone, and you'll never need to worry about what everyone else is doing or thinking. that leads to the final thought I'll share with you this morning. You have a reward for your resilience. Let's listen again to verses five and six. And if a man also strive for masteries, yet is he not crowned, except he strive lawfully. He's talking here of a race, and you can only win if you strive lawfully how many of you heard of the lady in the new york marathon not too long ago who won the race and then they found out she took a taxi cab most of the way okay that would be not striving lawfully but i think she should get some kind of an award just for being genius why would you run that far if you could take a taxi cab but at any rate uh he said listen there's no reward unless you strive lawfully and then then he writes here the husbandman that's an old school word that we don't use anymore that means farmer All right, it's talking here about a farmer that laboreth must be first partaker of the fruit. So Paul here uses a couple analogies to help us understand this truth. And and it's implied that uh, if we're to be the racer, the runner that we're to be, we're going to have to move forward. We're going to have to be progressing. We need traction. But the encouragement for us here as it relates to fear is that there is a reward when we are resilient in Christ and for Christ. Those times come where it's like, man, things are clouding up, it's looking tough, it's looking difficult, I'm sensing this fear. Uh, there, there's a reward when, when the question that needs to be answered is, is not, how will this fear stop me, but God, where do you want me to go? And then we're resilient nonetheless. There's, there's a crown, if you would, as you are resilient, a reward will come. The second analogy Paul uses here is of a farmer. And he essentially says that when a farmer endures through planting and weeding and harvesting, that there's a reward that's going to come through all that. It's going to come by way of a harvest. And it will be a blessing to the farmer first and foremost. I think of what Paul wrote to his friends in Corinth in 1 Corinthians 15. In verse 58, he said, therefore, my beloved brethren, be ye steadfast, unmovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord. For as much as you know, your labor is not in vain in the Lord. And Paul over and over and over sought to encourage people of faith to follow the Lord wholeheartedly, without reservation. And we have a God who says, hey, I'll never leave you vain or empty on the other side. It will always be worth while. He was saying that times would come that would tempt us to stop moving forward, but as we follow God, we can abound, abound. When we press on in faith, through the traction that God provides, we'll find a fulfillment and overcoming that we'd never known had we allowed an obstacle to stop us at that point in our lives. In 1975, a man named Roger Hart did a study On where children felt safe to play he tracked the movement of 86 children in this study they were ages 3 to 12 and he analyzed their movements and in the course of his work he learned that kids in 1975 had a remarkable sense of safety and freedom they would roam the streets they would uh, run far to go play in parks they they felt a great sense of safety throughout their hometown that was 1975 In 2014 the same man did the same study fresh batch of kids the exact same location what he found is that kids didn't want to leave their house much less their yards he added this there is no free-range outdoors even when the kids are older parents now say I need to know where you are at all times how I many of you, when you were growing up, your parents didn't care to know where you were most of the time, you know? <laughs> I'd be back when the streetlights are on. And, and, uh, and now, and it's advisable, I want to know where you are every second. But what's odd about all of this is the town that he studied, the specific town he studied, the crime rate had not changed at all. It was a safe town, a safe community. No more crime there today than there was 40 years ago in 1975. Now, I'm not advocating losing track of our kids today. I'm seeking to point out what fear does to us. It hems us in where we want to play it safe. We stop moving. We start barricading. As Mr. Hart said, their circle of freedom had grown very tiny. They had freedom, but because of fear, they were so limited and confined that they weren't enjoying it. They weren't entering into it. They weren't growing. They had lost their traction. And friends, that is what fear does to all of us. It robs our forward movement. It makes us to live as captives when in Christ we have been made free. But friends, when you come to understand that God's strength, if you're a child of his, is within you. And when you realize that God has prepared you for what you'll face, you've been built for the battle. And when you put your focus on the Lord, and when you realize the reward of living by faith rather than by fear, you can gain attraction that will lead you to move forward in your life. You don't have to be limited by the anxiety that that comes. I want you to know that God built us in a way where we can continue to grow and learn and experience and move forward. Now, fear will be present in all of our lives. And it might be helpful to know that all fear is not bad fear. God gives us some fear of things that can be quite helpful. Fear is a good deterrent from getting into stuff we shouldn't get into. But when fear comes, what we need to do is go to God. It was the psalmist that said in Psalm 56 and verse 3, what time I am afraid, I will trust in thee. He didn't say because I trust God, I'll never be afraid. Aren't you glad he didn't say that? God knows us. He knows our frame, the constitution of us. He put us together and I'm glad that in the Bible we find that it says what time I am afraid I'll trust in thee. Pastor, give me a sermon that will lead me to understand I never have to fear again and I would say that cannot be done. The human condition is that we are prone to fear but what I can say is at what time we are afraid what we need to do is trust in God and thank him that he's with us if you're a child of his and that God the spirit dwells within you to give you the enablement the divine enablement, the overcoming